Hi and welcome to the Expansive Podcast. We are recording in the year 2020, the year of the coronavirus, the year of uh, Kanye West running for president, the year of isolation and quarantines. And John, uh, welcome to the podcast from Cape Town. I think it's the first thing that we are doing where you've relocated and you aren't Farmer John anymore. Am I right? Yes, yes. I have evolved yep. from Farmer John to Seacoast John, a vegan <laughs> fishery, uh, which means I don't fish. Um, yes, I'm in Cape Town. And yes, you're right. The year of 2020, the year of masks and sanitizer um, and washing your hands consistently. So yes, what a year we're in. And uh, I, was on a, I was on a talk this morning and one of the questions from the leader was, so what can we expect from the future? And I think, and, I, and my response was not to ask that question. Because yeah. <laughs> nobody can tell you what's coming. That that's kind of your question's wrong. <laughs> so Listen, here we I are mean, in the year twenty twenty. When did you think you were gonna hear that the bubonic plague is back? Uh so that was yesterday's yes. news. And yes, where yes. did you think that you would ever be shopping for a stylish mask? Mm. Like I, I go to the shops no. and I have mask envy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I saw somebody with a dog mouth on their mask the other day, and I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I also want a dog mouth mask. So yeah, it is weird. You know, all of a sudden everybody has to wear masks and every shop you go into, you have to spray your hands. It's quite a hell of a thing. But yeah, here we are, man. I don't even know when it's finishing, to be honest. I mean, uh, Cape Town is having record numbers of peaking um, sickness. There was a post yesterday. I saw that if you are sick, don't go to the hospitals. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get in. So I mean, geez, wow. it's, uh, wow, it's a hell wow, of a wow. thing that we're going through. Listen, um, but so today's uh, topic is all about a mm. list that you made uh, that went uh, really yes. well and that got a lot of traction. So uh, mm. you want to intro the list and then we'll go through it? Yeah, so look, I, I think we're living in a world right now where a lot of momentum has ended for a lot of people. Whatever you were doing before could have really come to a dead end and uh, you need to be able to kickstart this engine again. And I was thinking about it in my own terms of what makes me have so many new opportunities come into my life and what creates luck, what creates connections and what creates mm. magnetism in my life. And I think this list was just birthed out of what is it that I'm missing and what is it that I could do better? And so I started writing this list and I put it on, on, um, in the, uh, uh, on social media and uh, just on LinkedIn. It's been seen close to 30,000 times. And I thought nice. it was just a great list that obviously had some momentum around mm. um, uh, people really wanting to practice some of these things. And I think something you said in Think Week when I did it with you was a lot of us glance at information and it's important for us to dive deeper into them. So I think my urge to the listeners is think about each one of these, write them down and see where you can do them better and what things that you're already doing and give yourself a pat on the, sh on the, on the back. But really these, this list of 10 um, ways to get lucky. Somebody made a comment, the 10 commandments of 2020, and I don't think it's that <laughs> big, but um, definitely 10 ways to get lucky. And, and let's go through them because I think they're quite exciting. And some of them you might be already doing, some of them might be obvious, but something that we can always fine tune and get better at. Mm. And I think, you know, we, we spoke a bit about this before, but, you know, people might not be comfortable with the word lucky, but I think ultimately luck is also mm. just, it's a timing thing. And like, to such a large extent, we want to discount timing, but it plays such a big role in almost any successful person that's out there. Like at some point, the fact that they worked hard, that they went through all these things that you worked, that, that we're going to be speaking about, 
it prepared them for the right moment when the right thing happened and it put them onto the right kind of path. And so like lucky isn't about blind luck that's coming out of nowhere. You like, you know, win the lottery, whatever. It's about just the right timing of things and the things that you do that get you there. Absolutely. And, and then we've heard that, that comment around preparation meets opportunity and how somebody uh, all of a sudden became a star online or in music or in comedy. And if you look back on their history, they've been at it for 10, 15 years. You just mm. didn't know about them. Now, all of a sudden, you think they've gotten lucky. But meanwhile, they've been putting so much graft into or so much work into doing their craft that it's just about time that they hit, hit the big time. So mm. I think there's a lot to be said for the concept of luck. And if you've got an issue with the idea of luck, I just suggest you change the word to success. So if you've really don't want to think about luck, just think, well, how do you become more successful? And I kind of think it's it's kind of in the same vein that we're going to be talking about this sort of thing. Love it. Let's go for okay. it. So number one is work harder than is expected. And I think it's important to take this point to heart because we must realize that it's not just about working hard at something you don't like. It's about finding what you love so that working hard is obvious, it's easy, and it's exciting for you to do. It's not about working hard and breaking your bat and doing stuff you absolutely hate because then you're not creating any mm. sort of like positive energy. You're complaining and moaning inside your head for doing the hard work. So really, before I even started the first one, work harder than is expected, find what you love to do and then work as hard as expected. And that becomes an obvious when you've actually found what you love to do. Any comments? Mm. Yeah. So uh, first thing that pops to mind for me is that you can almost take hard work and think of it across two dimensions. The one is intensity. So, you know, I work very hard for five hours a day, but it's so focused that it actually doesn't matter compared to someone else's 12 hour day. Um, or that you, that it's about the time. It's a, it's about having the 12 hour day. But I think when you speak about hard work, it's really about the, the focus and the persistence and that you might have a 12 hour day, but it doesn't feel like it because you actually love what you do and it's all moving in the same direction. Mm. It's not just exactly. busy work. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, look, uh, you and I have been writing books while COVID has been happening. Uh, and people are so impressed by that. I remember the lady that introduced you the other day at our leadership uh, platform that we yes. spoke about. <laughs> and and um, the truth is, is that it's easy for you and I. Like, because it's just so passionate about what we're doing. And so, yes, we want to push up another book out, to uh, put another sort of thought leadership piece out. It's just something we love doing. So that's hard work. You know, it's really hard work. But did it feel like hard work? Mm. Yes, but no, because it was mm. so much fun. So that's cool. the first thing. Do love what's it. more expected then from you. Second, stay teachable. And the best quote that I have around this is from Alan Watts. He says, the knowledgeable man has to learn something new every day, but the wise man has to unlearn something new every day. And staying teachable, meaning that what you knew yesterday can always be improved on, can always be adapted, and always be fine-tuned for what's going on in the future. Again, if you just take a look at you and I, we've redesigned our businesses, we've redesigned what we're doing in order to be able to become newly impactful in the world, meaning that we've had to learn unlearn what we used to do, use new dynamics and new mediums to want to get our message across. Mm. You know, um, teachable for me, the, the biggest thing is that, or the biggest mark of it is, are you able to listen to the people around you and learn from them? Mm. Because if you think about it, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like a personal attack when you go and read uh, a John Sane post and he says, 
go do X, Y, or Z because it's going to improve your life. Like, you're not going to feel like, oh, he's attacking me. Well, maybe some people do because like it's the internet, but, (laughs) but when you, when you look at the people around you and they're giving you feedback, that's such a difficult thing to do and to take on board, especially if you are super set in your ways. And so I think the mark Mm. of someone being teachable to me is how they deal with external feedback and how they grow from, Mm. from people around them Mm. and not just the content they consume. But I, I think the, Point yeah, well really done. Yeah, mm. I think that's a good point. Mm. Yeah, I think because also also just being okay with putting new content into your head is tiring and exhausting. Mm. And so to be always a student, the forever learner, is just a hard thing to do. You know what I mean? It's mm. just it's like becoming okay with having to rethink and relearn how you bring impact to the world. Mm. And that's and that's kind of like what we're seeing in the world is that people have to become these forever students, and that's hard. Because mm-hmm. once you've got your degree and you've got your master's, you think, okay, well, that's it. You know, now I can cruise for a bit. That world here is disappearing right in front of our eyes. Mm. Okay. Cool. Love it. Number three. This one's great. I love this one because I remember it from a movie I watched when I was a kid with um, Field of Dreams. Do you remember that, that movie? It was the first time I watched a movie around uh, Kevin Costner where they built a basketball, no, um, baseball pitch in the middle of the Millies or in the middle of the maze. And the, the term they used there was build it and they will come. And I remember that was such a, the first time I'd ever heard anything about this point. And point three is give without expecting. It's almost like to build in lieu of, to give in the way that, you, that, that you're thinking and expecting for it to be big and large and exciting for where you're moving to in the future. And I think it's a hell of a thing to be able to be generous genuinely generous to people around you in as many different ways as possible without any expectation. I think that was a great mm. saying the other day they had on Facebook or oh, YouTube, I oh, know YouTube, Instagram that said, if you're giving with expectation, it's called business. When you're giving without expectation, <laughs> it's called generosity. Mm. And I think generosity does two things. One, you surprise people with the level of generosity you're giving. And two, you are telling the universe that there's more than enough to go around and I'm building it in expectation of them coming. Mm. You know, I, I know that um, you have a, sort of very specific areas in your life where you are generous. And I think it's, it's good to run people through that as well, because when we think about generosity, um, I think it's quite easy to get stuck into one way of giving or thinking that, you know, it's only giving to charity or it's only doing social media content. But I think it's something, it, there's an opportunity to perhaps apply more structure to your generosity and to think about it in terms of a, a wider scope of your life or your business. Yeah, very good point. You know, I think across the board, uh, you need to find who your sweet spots are where you can be generous with um, generously, if I can put it that way. Because, you know, I, I used to, for the longest thing time, really not enjoy homeless people. I would always think that they'd given up on life. And I would not find myself being charitable there. And I had to question myself in my kindness. And I think to myself, like, how, how do I think that I'm kind if I'm not generous there? And I started to realize that my sweet spot was quite clear. And it wasn't around homeless people. It was around single moms, around young entrepreneurs, and around dogs. And those three aspects of myself or those three sectors in my life, I am incredibly generous with. And I can't be generous enough because I come from a single mom family. I've been a young entrepreneur and I still am. 
and I love dogs. Mm. And so find your sweet spot where you are generous and be giving in that space. You don't have to be generous everywhere. I think that's also mm. quite impossible for us to do. Yeah, and, and the small okay. things count, you know. Uh, there was a, an email I got after Think Week of someone telling me about the story of uh, a child and like the, her throwing uh, stars back into the ocean. Have you heard that story? No. So essentially, like there was a, a little girl uh, on the beach and she was busy throwing, um, is it called a sea star? <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, those. The yeah, sea yeah, star. Those, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're so, Yeah, 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 yeah. So she was, uh, she was like throwing them back into the ocean and this guy walked up to her and he said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm saving sea stars. And he said, well, you know, you can't save them all. Like what kind of difference are you really making? And she threw one back into the ocean. She said, well, it made a difference to that one and to yes, this one. Yes, and uh, yes. like, it's such a nice, I have to go Google this. It's called the mm. sea star. It's really bugging me now because I know starfish. Afrikaans, starfish, sea star. <laughs> Dude, we get to record this entire <laughs> podcast from the start again. <laughs> Caesar. In Afrikaans, in yeah. my defense, it's called a yeah. siesta, I think. Siesta. No, my, my head okay. is completely gone out the window. Let's get on to the okay. next point, okay. by the way. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Let's, let's keep moving, Eric. So, and you can go Google it while we are on this podcast. Um, okay, so number four is read and write more. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that writing is the best way for you to solidify information into your head, to curate and contextualize information that you want to bring about into your understanding. And every time I write, finish writing a book, I have an upgraded perspective and a new understanding on a subject, and it becomes such a wonderful process for me. And then reading. I think uh, putting aside 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, every day to try and get an aspect of new information into your head, whether it's an article or a part of a book or an audible or something that's giving you an opportunity to upgrade your perspective and see somebody else's perspective so that it can upgrade your perspective. So read and mm. write more just makes you more expansive in your understanding of the world and adds more depth into your perspective. Mm. And from a, from a thinking point of view, you know, we, we access our thinking in different kind of ways. So when you write about something, you're accessing it in one kind of way. When you're reading, it's a different kind of way. When you speak about it, it's a different kind of way. When you um, have conversations with people, it's a, it's a different kind of thinking. So uh, uh, what I like about it is that um, it also prompts you to think about the same topic from different angles simply by changing mm. the medium. It's not even having to go yes. and, and really go out far and wide to try and, and challenge yourself. You just change the medium. It changes the yeah. way you think. So good yeah, point. Well said. Yep. Okay. And then number five is show up on time. And I think this is really key because a lot of people have got bad relationships with time and some people have got great relationships with time. But a level of respect is shown when you respect somebody else's time. I have a steadfast rule that if I'm waiting for somebody, I give them 10 to 15 minutes and then I'm out. And I just don't have enough patience past 10 or 15. If they are running late, then a small WhatsApp just to say I'm running mm. late. No problem that I'm okay. But if nothing happens until 10 or 15 minutes, I just find it to be disrespectful and something that I cannot contend with or can't work with moving into the future. So it makes other people around me less lucky to want to work with me or to give them business. And so, in fact, I had somebody that didn't pitch for a meeting that was going to be one of my service providers. And when we came to deciding who our service provider was going to be after we got a couple of pitches, my business manager said, 
but they were late and they didn't mm. show up. And that was a deciding factor for us not to work with them. And so they got mm. less lucky. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've been speaking about a lot is building trust in the new this digital environment. And one of the one of the kinds of trust that we build is cognitive trust. And it's built through being on time and delivering a high quality of work consistently. Mm. And so mm. you, you should know that in this new world that we find ourselves in, being on time is not only a sign of respect, it also builds trust. And mm. especially where you can't, because how does trust usually work? It's we walk into a room, we have a feeling about someone, and it's like sort of a gut instinct. Mm. You don't have that mm. online. What I have is, mm. can I trust you to show up on time? Can I trust you to do the yes. work to a high level of, of quality? Um, so that becomes more yeah. important, and it's not just productivity. So cool. Next one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, number six is uh, focus on your customers. And I found myself through this period of COVID is really starting to pay more attention to what my customers' needs are, how much cash flow they have, where they're at, what they need, and how I can fine-tune my products and services to fit in with their needs. And becoming hypersensitive to the changing consumer behavior. And we must realize that when we come out of COVID and even during COVID, consumer behavior has changed dramatically. Mm. There's less money in the system. They're prioritizing different things. And so you have to try and fit into their need states and the way they want to be engaging with it. So it doesn't matter if you're the world's best suit maker. If you, the world doesn't need that suit at that time, you have to readjust how you go about making suits or whatever the case may be. I mean, the world's best chefs. If people aren't coming to your restaurant because of COVID, what are you doing? You have to readjust, create a ghost kitchen, partner with delivery companies and carry on doing what you're doing. So really it's just about understanding that your customers' needs are changing and you need to morph yourself into what they need. Is there an example from, from what you are doing and how you've adjusted to your customers' needs? Well, look, I think as far as pricing is concerned, the very first thing I can tell you is that um, we've got a webinar fatigue uh, reality right now where it's every, there's just webinars all over the place. And so the pricing structures have changed. Also, I'm not flying anywhere. So the time that it's taking me to want to uh, deliver the work is also changed. So yes, the pr pricing, for example, is just one mm. of the things that has changed for me. Another one is exactly what you and I are doing together, the Think Week and the Future Preparedness. is just a repackaging of our information mm. to do with uh, giving workshops to people that are sitting on Zoom, not in a boardroom repackaging the thought leadership, the writing of books and the talks into a new sprint strategy workshop. So those two, have you got any examples? Mm. Yeah. The first thing that came to mind for me actually was just that what I've almost found during the past couple of weeks is that I'm having more human conversations with my clients. So whenever someone is hiring me to do a, a talk or a, a, a workshop, it's the conversation we are having before and after it's just like almost like we're friends, you know. It's not that very mm. like sort of transactional type thing. It's mm. it's like there's more empathy and understanding. And so I think I'm spending more time understanding where they are at in their own mm. transition and their own journey. And they are, they get where I'm coming from. And it's, it's more of a co-creation than me just pitching up and doing. Yeah. I can't believe you're saying that. That's exactly what I'm doing. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. But mm. when people are inquiring now to work with me, we're we not going back with a quote. We're saying, let's just set up a quick 20-minute Zoom and figure out what's going on for you. Mm. Because I can ascertain budgets. I can ascertain uh, where they are in the process. What do they need? So there isn't sort of like, here's a keynote. 
Mm. It's a, it's a different process. So yeah, you're right. hundred percent. Well done. Thanks for bringing that up. Cool. Next. Okay. Number seven is develop good manners. Again, we have to realize that we are not dealing with the gut instinct right now when we are working over the internet. And so we are now stuck sort of back into just looking for the small nuances of, for example, can I successfully and with trust recommend Eric to go and speak in front of my CEO who's quite a difficult person? Or can I recommend um, that destination for somebody to go and experience? And these things all become part and parcel of the way we are engaging with the people that are selling those products. And swearing and uh, using slang and these things just work against you. Because no matter how good you are, you could turn some people off with just simple bad manners. So mm. looking people straight in the eye, greeting them, understanding and looking for their response in a sort of elegant way really does go a long way in people developing a form of trust with you and ultimately making you more lucky. Mm. Listen, to be honest, I have nothing to add to that. I think that's um, it's self-explanatory and we live in a world where more manners is always a good thing, especially where yeah. we are engaged and seeing just a, a lot of craziness in the world and a lot of online fights mm. and people thinking that they're going to uh, switch people's deeply held beliefs on the internet by yeah. commenting on uh, what they're saying. So I think, you know, all of us to, to have uh, more manners and more elegance in the way we approach each other, what a win. Mm. So mm. manners maketh men. Okay. Good. Yeah. And you're very good at that, Eric. So except when we're offline, then you got no manners. <laughs> but anyway, number eight. <laughs> Number eight uh, is humility. Be humble. Because I think what happens is that, and it's happened to me in the past, is you get caught up in your own, your own story. And, you know, you, you, you do well, and then all of a sudden that becomes your sort of story that you start telling yourself. And when you are teachable, you start to realize that humility goes hand in hand with that. And I love working with people like I watch Yuval Harari and he's super humble, man. He's so smart. He's so together, but he's so empathetic. He's so calm in his approach. And I just have more time to listen to him. And I think all of us really appreciate this ability for somebody to not describe themselves as an expert or not to describe themselves mm -hmm. as profound. You know, you let other people do that for you if it is necessary. And you can describe yourself as, um, a specialist mm. rather than an expert. Uh, mm. And so there's terms that you can utilize in really just being respectful of other people's uh, viewpoints and also understanding that viewpoint, your viewpoint is constantly changing and in a state of humbleness, that's obvious. Mm. You know what you just made me think of is that you could almost graph it out that initially if we think of like arrogance as the y-axis and time as the x-axis, then um, when you start out, or let's make, let's make not time, let's make it uh, knowledge or expertise. That's the mm. x-axis. Mm. So when you start out, you, you almost have to be a bit arrogant because you have to have a certain self-confidence and belief in yourself. Mm. And so what happens is mm. your, your knowledge builds, but so does your arrogance. Then at some point, it hits mm. this sort of high threshold where you feel like, you know, I'm making a lot of money. People are, are looking at, uh, uh, I'm in demand. People are uh, wanting to work with me. But then once you get through that, once you get to the next level, like the mastery level, it starts coming down again. 
um, from an mm. arrogance point of view, because now you passed that stage where the, the hubris mm. was important. And now you, you just are who you are. And mm. the arrogance isn't that important. Mm. Do you think that maybe yeah, happens? Good point. I think, yeah, look, I mean, if we just think about if you're playing in the league for football in your home country, and then you get at the top of your game, you're super arrogant and you're super confident and you're up there and you get drafted to go play in the premiership in the England. Guess what, dude? It welcomes you now as skivvy again. Now you're starting yeah. at the bottom. So mm. you're almost like going through these stages. So look, I think also there's a very clear difference between arrogance and confidence. And I wrote about it in one of my books. And there's one word that separates arrogance and confidence. And that's kindness. Mm. I think that if you're kind, you're perceived as confident. And if you're unkind, you're perceived as arrogant. So mm. there's also those two things that you want to play with. And again, look, that's you can't great. be kind to everybody. It's a, it's a tough thing to try and be kind to everybody. So some people always think that you're arrogant because you just haven't given them that level of kindness. But uh, it is what it is, and, and people have their own perspectives. But being humble, I think, is really important to be able to get more lucky. Thank you. Number nine, and we have two more left, is be kind and generous. And this goes very much with this idea of give without expecting. So being kind and generous gives us this opportunity to feel um, other people's uh, emotions, be empathetic to them, and to make sure that we hear everybody in the room, that we're making time for everybody, and we're listening with a level of elegance. And so being kind and generous is so obvious, but sometimes we lose out on the understanding of the long-term benefits of being kind and generous. And, you know, I'm writing a book with Iraj Abidjan and every time I speak to him, and he's in his 60s, right? And he's a very well-respected person in the country and he's very well, I mean, he's just highly intelligent, but I'm always astounded by his kindness and generosity. And I often write back to him in a mail. I'm like, you know, I've just got to compliment you on every time I speak to you, I feel better. I feel stronger. You're so always enthusiastic. And just having somebody around me like that is just a great uh, reminder of the power mm. of kindness and generosity. Mm. That's great. I have nothing to add to that. I think okay. uh, you captured it well. Great, thanks. And then number 10 and the last one is surround yourself with smarter people than you are. Or like uh, you mentioned the other day is surround yourself with specialists. And I think what this point really is, is that your luck and your ability to move up a level to access higher service levels or higher realms of what you do in a higher and more powerful way is by having smarter and more specialist people around you. And when the people around you feel this generosity, feel this kindness, feel your showing up on time and respect, they want to do more with you and for you. And I found this for myself. You know, I've, I have a team of people around me that are getting better and stronger. And it's because I've been generous and because I've made them partners, because I've added them into the benefits of my growing brand. I've just seen them really start to shine and to feel a level of confidence that gives them more impetus to be better and to step up. And mm. so really this team around me is making me luckier. And I think that's really important to remember is that the luck isn't always come from you, but the people around you that feel your level of intention and power that they themselves start to now reflect that back to you and start to grow with you. Mm. I think that's great. And, you know, I like the, the focus also that you can bring those people into your life by paying for them. <laughs> you can like, yeah. it, it, it feels so, um, it feels unreachable at times, but, you can actually go and hire a specialist to work with, a coach, uh, someone who, whose skill you might require to get your business to the next level and bring them into your world 
by paying for them. Mm. And then, you know, we've spoken before about uh, becoming the kind of person that hangs around with the kind of people that you want to hang around with. Uh, you mm. speak about mm. that quite mm. a bit. And I think, you know, mm. it, it really is like I've, I've always kind of the idea of a mentor has always been mm. very abstract to me. And I, mm. if I had to put the word mentor onto someone, it would actually be you. Like you'd be the first person that sort of epitomizes that in my life. And I, I see the value of people Thank finding you. that for them, you know, someone who's much, much older than they are. Um, and who has a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm the same as you. I can't give a compliment for too long. I've got to, I've got to break the tension with that compliment. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're great. Yeah, and it's awesome, but you're so old. It's amazing. You know, thanks. Thanks so much. Eric. Uh, yeah, dude, listen, uh, amazing list. Um, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. any closing thoughts? Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, look, uh, I think all of them are obvious. All of them are the best way you can go about building momentum in whatever business you're involved in is to follow these 10 steps just because they make so much sense. And for me, they've really put me in a good place and I've got one or two of them that I need to work better on. But now that I've made them, I've got the awareness of them and now I can start practicing them. And that's mm. why we made this podcast today. So thanks everybody to Thank you. listening to our podcast. Uh, if you think you want to share this with somebody who needs to hear it, please go ahead and do that and make their day because you could be adding value to somebody else's life without even uh, doing much except forwarding a podcast. So thank you so much for all the comments, for the reviews, and for all the shares. I always appreciate it. Eric? Yeah, thank you. If you want to add value to our day, uh, the easiest way to do that is to do a rating or a review on iTunes. Uh, we love those. We share those. We glow when they come through. Uh, so thank you. And John, as always, thank you for sharing your, your insights with us. And uh, speak to you again next week. 